all these conversations with pastor. I've got several questions that have been submitted. So if you have questions, be thinking now. And perhaps you'll have a time to ask them. We'll see how far we get here. Um, you can, um, if you do have questions, you can submit them. If you'll put this on the screen, uh, question text question VC to ninety four thousand. That's the phone number ninety four thousand. And just go to your phone and text, and then a screen comes up when you text question VC. It'll come up, and then you type in your question, and it'll come right to us. Is that okay? Uh, before we go anywhere, there's something I need to deal with. You know, I'm pastor, so I'm kind of like the, the, the father of the family. So uh, can we do a little family business here? Uh, family business? So, uh, you know, we're living in a, a strange time when people generally uh, hear the word but don't apply what it's saying to their personal life. And our culture has, uh, has uh, uh, the morals of our culture uh, I've never seen them lower. Uh, how can they get lower? Well, they'll get lower right now. There's a push, I don't know if you realize, to, to mainstream pedophilia. Did you know that? You can read between the lines and see the news tech, news and what they're saying and how they're saying it. So it, it, get, it can get lower. But right now I want to deal with some pertinent things that deal with us every day. Um, uh, and it's the word lasciviousness. Everybody say lasciviousness. So the root of that is the word lascivious, and I just looked it up on my handy little dictionary on my iPad, lascivious. In fact, um, uh, before I, I even go there, let me go to the scripture. I wasn't planning to do this, so hang on a second. I'm not as prepared as Thomas was. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 um, now the works of the flesh are revealed sexual immorality, impurity, lewdness, idolatry. In fact, let me go to King. I have to go to King James Version because there's something I want to read from there. So hang on a second. And uh, there we go. Uh, verse 19, works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those first, what is that? One, two, three, four words there are of sexual nature. And then the word lasciviousness there is, uh, is quite interesting. And um, now, let's see, I haven't done my homework. Look at me. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but here we are. Dates Annotated Reference Bible uh, has a note about lasciviousness here. Lasciviousness is the Greek word. I won't give you the Greek word because you won't remember it anyway. It means licentiousness, lustfulness, unchastity, lewdness. And uh, 40 plus years ago, I read his definition, which is, Lasciviousness is the promoting or partaking of that which tends to produce lewd emotions. Anything tending to foster sex sin and lust. Then he says that's why many worldly pleasures have to be avoided by Christians so that lasciviousness may not be committed. So then I go back to where I was. My dictionary, dictionary definition for something that is lascivious. Inclined to lustfulness, wantonness, lewd. A lascivious girl chasing old man is the way it's used in a sentence. Arousing sexual desire. Lascivious photographs. Uh, three, indicating sexual interest or expressive of lust or lewdness. A lascivious gesture. Uh, I like synonyms. So here's some synonyms for lascivious things. Uh, X-rated, body, blue, bodily, carnal, coarse, crude, evil-minded, fleshly, gross, hardcore, hot, immoral, incontinent, indecent, lewd, libertine, 
libidinous, licentious, low down, lustful. I'm skipping some that you wouldn't understand, or I don't. They're not mainstream. Lustful, nasty, obscene, off color, offensive, um, pornographic, randy, raunchy, raunchy, raw, ribald, rough. Salacious, surreal, sensual, smutty, soft core, steamy, suggestive, unchaste, voluptuous, vulgar, wanton. Is that enough? So, I want to encourage all of us, both men and women, watch how you dress. Uh, it's difficult to buy clothes today. And listening to my female friends, it's challenging for a female to find clothes that don't look like you got poured into them. That is, there's no room between you and the fabric, which means it reveals all of your form. How many get what I'm saying? Is that true or false, ladies? So if you cater to the world, you know, you're, you're, you're going to sin. Uh, James 4.17, he who knows to do good, and does not do it to him in his sin. So this is to the, to the sisters in the house and watching online. If you're a, a sister in the Lord, you, know, you, should, you should be careful with how you dress when you leave your house. I have three little girls, and Susan and I talk to them very really strong about how they dressed because we understand the nature of sex drive in a man. A man's sex drive is tied directly to his eyesight. Uh, and, and the moment he sees, he desires. That's the way a man is, is wired by God because he's supposed to be the one that, that moves forward in the relationship of husband and wife in marriage. So having said that, ladies, it's come to my attention that there is some risque and ribald, ribald and lascivious dress that some people enter into. So let me say, uh, ladies, if you're going to wear these, uh, these uh, tight-fitting pants, leggings, Yoga pant type stuff, cover up your midriff. Everybody get that? I mean, cover up all the way down your legs. Can I be, do I need to be more clear? <laughs> you know, we encourage the ladies on the stage to do that for, many, for obvious reasons. Then, then the, I've noticed something. Now listen, uh, now a, a new thing that's coming is uh, the, the, the cultural trend in dress for women is, is to show uh, the midsection between right under your breasts and your midsection, your belly, including your belly button. There is no man that needs to see your belly button or your belly. How many hear what I'm saying? So parents, I want to encourage you not to allow your children to dress that way. You're asking for someone to have sex with them before they're married. And you're asking for someone to lust after them. So that's lasciviousness. That is that is dressing in a way that's wrong. How many hear what I'm saying? You know, uh, we have a men's meeting every Tuesday, and every man's challenge is, 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 the, is moving away from lust and allowing his eyes to go where they shouldn't go. And at the end of it, and we've been doing this for years, at the end of every meeting, everybody puts their little hand in the circle. I make a commitment before God. No lust. Come on, guys, no pornography. No looking at women in yoga pants. Eyes only for Jesus and my wife if I'm married for the next seven days. God keep me, see? We do it. So I just, <laughs> we had 22 men there yesterday. And we have to, you know, we have to deal with these kinds of things, so. I just want to encourage you, if you have daughters, grandpa uh, grandparents, if you have grandchildren, if you have daughters, 
and sons as well. I mean, men pour themselves in their britches just like women do. I mean, Lord Jesus, help me, you know? I mean, please, don't be doing that. You're asking for trouble and you're sinning against your fellow believer. How many hear what I'm saying? Now, let me say this. People from the world who come in, people that don't know the Lord, and they're going to assume the culture. They're going to be, they may have provocative, provocative dress and provocative ways and such. So, you know, we just, we love people where they are, right? I can't put a law up and say, well, here's, you got to dress this way to come into victory. I can't do that. No, but what we can do is love each other enough to respect each other, honor one another. How many think we should honor each other? First of all, honor the Lord, then honor your brother and sister in Christ. How many know you can also be lascivious in the way you speak? Sexually suggestive. Don't say anything sexually suggestive to the opposite sex. Yes or no? We have to deal with these things, y'all, on a fairly consistent basis. Uh, ladies tell me things that, that I have to deal with is with men. Um, uh, don't be, uh, and then women are that way too. And then uh, you, you have to watch your demeanor, how you carry yourself. That can be lascivious. Is that true? Right? So, you know, a word to the wise, this courage is let, let God deal with you. And if you need to clean up, clean up. I thought that would just go over real big. So, anyway. And, you know, um, geez, can I say that? Uh, you know, if somebody you know really well, maybe a friend of yours comes to church, I don't care if it's a guy or a gal, and they're dressed in a way that's immodest, if you love them, take them don't do it in front of their friend, but take them to the side and say, if it's a guy, say, dude, what you doing, man? Or if it's a girlfriend, ladies, say, you know, why are you dressing that way? Are you aware that that's provocative dress? Now, somebody may get really mad with it, and you may have a red face leaving the meeting there. <laughs> Probably not, if there's somebody that's a friend. But how many know we need to love each other enough to be honest and real? Because we're living, I've never seen an age or a time like this, and uh, our children are bearing the brunt of what we have allowed in our culture. Yes or no? Who can make the change? Can the church make the change? I'm not saying we all have to wear black. And, and wear, wear dresses all the way down to our knees, but we need to be presentable and non-lascivious. How many get it? Enough said. No, question number one. No, we're real. Anybody got any comments about that? Okay, I'm good. Uh, so I've got some questions that have been presented. Uh, we've been studying, uh, this first one, we've been studying in class about Mesopotamia, uh, known as the cradle of civilization, uh, and the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates. My students have noticed that in today's world, the Euphrates has been drying up. It seems to me that this sign, the Euphrates being dried up, Euphrates being dried up, comes later during the tribulation period. What if, what info and advice can I tell my students about this sign and its timing uh, before Jesus comes? So uh, specifically, uh, Revelation sixteen twelve says the sixth angel poured out his bowl, and this is the seven bowl judgments, labor judgments, which are very quick. They happen, they really happen in, in about a month's time, believe it or not, the very end, looks like the very end of that seven years we typically call tribulation. And it says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. So there's going to be the battle of Armageddon that will be the battle of all battles that will really end that seven year time and Jesus will whip the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming, Scripture says. So um, 
so the timing of that is the very end of that seven-year period. Uh, you know, there's, uh, and I, I get into the weeds on this, uh, just real quickly, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, they're the, um, uh, uh, what am I looking for? The seals, the seven seals on the scroll in God's right hand, which I talked about it in my blog the past number of days. And those seven seals, and it seems like they're, they're sealed, they're, they're seal judgments, and then they're, and they're trumpet judgments that come after that. And then in Revelation, in Revelation 15, 16, there are uh, bowl or laver judgments, and they all seem to be sequential. Now, we're going to find out in real time if that's true or not. Reality is. But those seals, they're right. If they're not breaking, they're just about to. And uh, so and then the trumpet judgments mention the Euphrates and the angels coming up out, out of the Euphrates River area, demonic spirit beings that wreak havoc on, on uh, humankind. Probably we're not going to be here during that time. That's probably, I don't have time to go into weeds how I know this, but I taught the book of Revelation, got it on there four to five years into that seven-year period when all that kind of stuff happens. And then, you know, right at the very end, just, just, just before Jesus returns, the Euphrates seems to drop. So right now what they were given credence to is, is I've just read the article the last couple of days, the Euphrates is drying up big time. And it's never been this dry uh, in the in I guess recorded history that they know of, and uh, there's some and, and and so much so there are places that people can cross. It's really uncanny. It's unusual. Um, the weather patterns are changing for some, and and so it may be a sign. So people are saying yes, it's a, a sign of the tribulation period. So if I was telling somebody anything about this, I would say, look, <clears throat> the whole world is changing. And, and what Jesus said in Matthew 24, just say one, just say go read Matthew 24 and it'll, it'll, it'll kind of give you some ideas of what the world's going to be like before Jesus comes back. And just tell them, say, look, there's just another sign that Jesus coming, second coming could be on the horizon and we need to get ready for it and give ourselves to Jesus and walk with God, right? So we can say a whole lot more. So that's my question. One question two, <clears throat> this person says, you have said the devil can plant a thought in your head and give you a feeling but they have a second question. Can he invade our dreams when we sleep, uh, when we dream something ungodly? Could that be from the devil? Or are ungodly dreams the results of our flesh and past sin? So obviously, you know, dreams are really a concoction of all kinds of things. And, you know, when we sleep, our, our whole being you know, just kind of resets. Our bodies rest. Our organs reset. Um, and um, they tell you to eat proteins at night and very little carbohydrate if you want to lose weight because amino acids are the building blocks of cells. If you eat proteins before you go to sleep, the last meal of the day, have a good protein with, with some vegetables, but don't eat a lot of carbohydrate. That's just an aside because your body's rebuilt. So your mind's rebuilding. <clears throat> Everything's kind of settling down. We need that seven, eight hours of sleep. And during that time, sure, you know, your mind can recall events of the day. And sometimes it's just, a, if you have crazy dreams, all of us have had them. It's just a hodgepodge of crazy stuff. And you're at a place with somebody that you hadn't seen in five years or 10 years. Or, or it's somebody you had a conversation with yesterday and they're doing something really uncanny. Why are they doing that? Why are they saying that? Well, that means nothing. Other times you have dreams. And, and some dreams, how many you know, can be of the Lord. And I've had God speak to me in dreams. And it's usually it's symbology. It's symbolic. And because he speaks in metaphor, if you go through the book of Revelation, lots of metaphors when God speaks uh, to John there. 
Uh, so in, in dream form, God will give metaphors. In fact, I, I, one for, I'll just give one. I have several. One would be years ago I was uh, making some strident changes in our ministry. <laughs> I started having dreams of snakes. And one vivid one, I still remember it. It's like I had it yesterday. I was in the kitchen, opened the door, and there's a snake. I opened the cupboard down underneath. There's a snake, several snakes. I'm looking down, there's a snake over here. I'm opening the top cabinet, and there's a snake. Everywhere I'm going, there's a snake. <laughs> so I looked up, and I have a little book that kind of helps you understand what the symbology means. And uh, yeah, I was uh, having some challenges with some people who were saying and doing things behind the back to, to, to make inroads and erode efficiency and effectiveness and try to put us into a snare. And it didn't work. Uh, but God gave me a dream just to warn me. So dreams can be of the Lord. Then also the demonic, can they enter your dreams? Well, the obvious answer is yes. And of course, uh, you know, if, if you've just, particularly if you've just come to the Lord and you've had somewhat of a risque life and you have all those kinds of things in your background and in your mind, can the enemy bring that back? Well, he, of course he can. My encouragement, and I seek to do Sometimes I fall asleep really fast. Um, but if I'm not falling asleep fast, I generally pray and I plead the blood of Jesus over me and my house and Susan. My mother lives with us and I pray over my family and, and I just ask God to keep me. And, uh, you know, I've had a, a habit, you know, before I go to sleep, I try to read scripture. I like to read a book before I go to bed. They tell, they tell you if you want to sleep well, calm yourself down, don't lose a lot of physical exertion and then sit down and read or something just to calm yourself down before you go to sleep. I do that and I read a spiritual book and then try to read a, a chapter of of scripture, and if you do that, and then just ask God to keep your mind straight. Bottom line, if you're having problems with dreams, ask the Lord to help you, and ask for Him to protect you, and ask for Him to keep you while you sleep. How many hear me? So, uh, you know, and and if anything like that happens in your dream, and you have dreams, and you feel like it's uh, an ungod, and it's an ungodly thing, obviously, what you're dreaming. Well, when you wake up, say, "I refuse that in Jesus' name," and you say, "Devil, you take your hands off me and my mind. Get out of here in Jesus' name." How many hear what I'm saying? Uh, having said that, Sunday I mentioned uh, something that we all need to pay attention to. If you're traveling, you're in a hotel room, you know, you're in somebody else's house, whatever. You know, I take authority over the room I'm in because you don't know what's been happening in that room. And you don't know what's been happening in that bed in that hotel room. And I've been all over the world in hotels, some, some really squirrely places too. So, you know, there's critters, there's real critters, and then there's spiritual critters, and you can feel them. So, you know, you just do your homework and say, you know what? The greater is he that's in me, the he that's in the world. I bind every demonic force that's ever done anything in this room. You do not have permission to be in here right now where I'm here, while I'm here. The angels of God are with me, and, and Jesus is with me. The Holy Spirit's with me. And, uh, you know, get out of here in Jesus' name. Now, if you don't do that, you could have some problems, you know, if you're traveling and such. If you're in your home, if you buy your home and it's an already built home and there's other people that have dwelt in their home, you need to take authority of your house. Um, I have all kinds of stories. Lord, have mercy. When I say it, I have it. Uh, but you just need to take authority over it and just be aware that whatever has ever happened in that house that's negative and impure, whatever, that those demon spirits want to come back. I'll tell you one story. Um, uh, this is back in the 80s when I counseled a lot in Tulsa. A guy come and, and uh, he said, man, there's, uh, there's some, some kind of weird something going on at my house. He said, I just can't get free. I can't feel free. I feel oppressed. I feel like I want to die. And I found out that some, some people who had lived in that house 
a person committed suicide in the house. Yeah. Now I've heard, I've got more than one story about that. So I told that person, here's what I told them. I said, you know, you have spiritual authority in Jesus' name. You need to exercise your spiritual authority and command that demonic force that caused that person to commit suicide. Get out your house and it's no longer theirs, it's yours. Get out in Jesus' name. How many hear me? And I told him forthrightly, if you can't do that, have somebody else go with you. If you're not willing to do that, move out by another house. Now, you just got to take authority or you'll have problems. How many get what I'm saying? So I could really get in the weeds and I don't want to, but yes, yes, ungodly things come. Yes, they can come from the devil, but you have authority. You got to assert your authority. Do it regularly. And once, here's what the devil will figure out. If you speak the word every time he pricks you, He's going to leave you alone eventually because he don't want to get the, he don't want to get cut with the sword of the spirit. He'll figure it out eventually, but he may test you, right? <clears throat> Could you clarify number four? Could you clarify something from last Sunday? Are cross necklaces bad to wear? Are they B-I-Y, build it yourself? Are there build it yourself toys we should stay away from? And then the last question in this series of questions is what is wrong? What about hatch animal? What's wrong with hatch animal, and I put pictures of that up. Uh, to start with, uh, any of these little fur, fur babies and little things that talk, what's that? Hatchimal? Hatch, hatch, well, you know, somebody misspelled hatch animal. It looks like hatch animal. Hatch animal, hatchimal, whatever, I stand corrected. Nonetheless, now anytime you're dealing, you know, I just read a thing today, did you know Nazi Germany? made toys for the little children that steep them in an ideology of psychological control? Did you know that? Go read history. Do you know history is repeating itself? So anything they're designing to mesmerize a child, talk to the child, it's got its own way of saying things, own way of doing things, and these Hatchimals, I understand, do all that. You got to be really careful of this stuff. It's better to play with a truck or a car or a doll, or a box. <laughs> or dig a hole in your backyard. <laughs> or climb a rope. Ride your bicycle. Or fly a kite. Shoot marbles. Come on. Uh, the other question, are cross necklaces bad to wear? I, I don't guess they're bad to wear. I've, I've personally never, uh, I've never worn a cross. I, I don't, I don't do, I don't, you know, I, you know I, actually, do we have any crosses in our house? I don't think I have, not, I'm not opposed to the cross. It's, it's a religious symbol. You know, uh, I don't guess there's anything necessarily wrong. You know, I, I, I want to live a cross life because I'm, I'm to bring myself to the cross of Jesus every day. Is that right? And we're supposed to live a crucified life. So I do that, but, but I think more about Jesus' resurrection than the cross because he's not hanging on the cross anymore like the crucifix shows. No, no, no. No, he got off that tree. And he went to hell for you, was raised from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father where you have authority with him. And that's what I want to magnify, right? But if you want to wear a cross, I think that's all right. I mean, you know, if you're going to wear something like that, religious emblems and jewelry, just make sure you live the life that backs it up. And don't be putting a bumper sticker on your car and you're one of the ones on 440 that's shooting in and out of traffic and about to make everybody else wreck. Don't be doing that. Uh, number five here, Sunday's message dealt with avoiding the occult and witchcraft. Uh, where would you consider the line be drawn with magic, for instance? Uh, is it okay to attend magic shows? 
or was good questions, or watch certain movies that deal with the themes of magic, um, i.e. Frozen or Encanto. I've not seen Encanto. I didn't really watch Frozen either. But um, So here's where I draw the line. So um, there, there is magic that is sleight of hand, and it's illusions. I don't think I have a problem with that. Um, but where it crosses the line, where it gets into mysticism, or, or let me go further and say hypnotism. You shouldn't have anything to do with that. Yes or no? So I think there could be some innocuous magic tricks and things like that. Let me show you what I can do. Oh, fine, whatever, you know. And that's kind of exciting and thrilling, whatever. But those are, are principles that can be learned and simple. Um, but that's different, than, that's different than, than, than real, you know, voodoo magic stuff that's strange and weird. So, you know, you should be able to see the difference. So, sleight of hand, probably all right. Um, but, again, there's a lot of hypnotism around today. And when people go around doing shows and stuff, they hypnotize people and they say and do various things. You should never let yourself be hypnotized. Ever. Ever. Because uh, you open the door to the spirit realm. And, and there's an element of your free will that is breached when you allow yourself to be controlled by someone else. I won't allow anybody else to control my mind. I don't want the devil to control my mind. You're not going to control my mind. The government's not going to control my mind. The news media's not going to control my mind. Jesus can, I control my mind and I let Jesus rule it with his word, right? So, so uh, uh, hypnotism is where something else controls you. You should never do that. So if it gets off into those areas, you just need to resist it. Is that okay? Anybody got any questions? Man, we took the time. If you got something, holler. I don't have the microphone. Susan has it. You got a question, Susan? <laughs> Susan loves me, this I know. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Uh, if there's no events now, why do we celebrate Christmas with pagan tradition? That's a great question. So, you know, for years, I've had people leave the church over it. we got a Christmas tree in the lobby. You know, um, we got wreaths. What else we got? we got candles, kumbaya. What else we got? What? Presents, Santa Claus, all that. You know, we've never celebrated Santa Claus at my house with my children. I do put up, oh, we'll put one up this weekend probably. I haven't had time. Uh, I put some little lights. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. That's the way I see it. So you say, well, Pastor, you're, you're celebrating a pagan holiday. Well, well, uh, if, I, if I am, God's got to deal with me about it. Um, obviously, um, Halloween, that is, there's some demonic entities there. How many get that? Uh, when it comes to the pagan traditions around Christmas and the Christmas tree. And, and you know, um, even I even researched the etymology of Halloween. And Halloween took its turn when, when immigrants came in the 1800s from Europe, from uh, um, uh, different places in England, Wales and such. And uh, they brought their traditions of All Hallows' Eve here. And then that became traditions that our culture 
is involved in. Most people do that innocuously and they don't do it to worship the devil. I just have a problem with dressing my kids up as ghosts, goblins, and putting things like that in my house. I won't do it because I just won't do it. So if somebody thinks that the uh, Christmas tree is a form of paganism and refuses to put it up, I guess I'm okay with them thinking that way, but I'm going to put one up uh, because I guess... uh, Christmas is so endemic in our culture and it's become a time where we celebrate Jesus' birth. Is that true or not true? They're trying to take that away from Christmas. Um, So I thought through on it and I've had people really challenge me about a Christmas tree and putting lights and things up. You know, uh, I think it's pretty. Uh, I like it. It's not, uh, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's overtly demonic, do you? Whether it's covertly demonic, you've got to judge that. I don't see the Christmas tree in a foyer as an idol, do you? I just don't. So, you know, for me, um, we have four children. They're all grown, married, and I have eight grandchildren. Always tried to do things as a pastor, first of all as a Christian, and then secondly as a pastor. Started having children before I became a pastor, I didn't want to do things that so ostracized them from their friends that they just couldn't relate. You've got to be careful with that. And now it's really a weird time because our culture is going to hell in a hand. They don't even have a hand basket. He's going to hell. And there's just so many weird things, so many weird things happening. But you just got to protect your kids. So my kids, I didn't want them to think we're way out here, some weird, you know. And I guess with Christmas, I feel like if I was to, no Christmas tree, no presents. We're not doing that. It's all of the devil. You're the Grinch. You're just the Grinch. You stole Christmas. You know, they'd, they'd raise up, they, they could, you know, grow up and think that way. So, you know, we've chose to celebrate Christmas. We do. We give gifts in honor of Jesus. And I think it's okay. And I love people and I love to give. And I think that's okay. So if you don't like that, I'm sorry. If you don't like our Christmas tree, I'm real sorry, but I do, and we're going to do it, and we're going to have some lights, and we're going to have some wreaths, and we're just going to have fun with Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jesus. So I, I don't know what else to say about that, you know. You know, I, I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm real firm about some stuff. I'm not firm about Christmas. I'm just not. Easter, uh, you know, we, um, you know, we hit eggs with our kids. Uh, we give them a, Susan's, Susan's middle name is Candy. She loves candy. I'm sorry, Susan. No, I should say that Susan's vitamins are candy. So she likes to do stuff for our kids. She does it for Valentine's Day and, and Christmas and Easter. What else? Birthdays, you know, whatever. Uh, so uh, we, you know, we, I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and I do that, and I understand the paganism surrounding eggs and bunnies and all that stuff, and there is some paganism there. I just don't tend to uh, talk about it or push it very much. Uh, I push the resurrection of Christ. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to give you an idea that, you know, when you're raising your kids, you can be so so right that you turn them off completely. How many hear what I just said? That sounds like I'm compromising when I say that to some of you. I have children, and I know how they live. They all four of our children, we paid for them to go to a Christian school. It cost us a lot. Susan worked. It was hard. Um, but we did that. And we just wanted good values in our children. 
And we want, wanted them to see that we're not cuckoo and so outlandish that nobody can relate to us. Does that make sense? So you've got to be careful how you deal with all this. And yes, everything's reaching its crescendo today. You get what I'm saying? But if you've got one chance to do this right with your kids, and you better do it right. And let me tell you what I see. I see a lot of Christian kids. They don't even come back to church once they get out from under mom and dad's home because they generally go to a college that takes all their spirituality out of them. Yes or no? And then if you push down a child's throat what you believe and value, you're just wrong. They've got to come up with their own belief system and they've got to learn to be separate from you. And that's the number one problem with Christian parents today. When children are young, you've got to keep your thumb on them. You do it this way, you do it at some point and some way when they're teenagers. You've got to give them enough rope that, that, that they can make some decisions on their own and that they can learn to identify what they believe separate from what you believe. And, and you've got to teach them the right way so when they reach that point that they can exercise their will that they make right choices and right decisions. Yes or no? But if you do it wrong and you're pushy and you press everything and you're demanding and controlling, you turn your kids off. When they turn 18, they say, I'm away from you. And I ain't even going back. Once a year, twice a year. You want your kids to be your friends once they come out from under your tutelage. Is that true? I mean, you know, you want to be comrades. And uh, you think our, I think our kids love us. We love our kids. We talk to them. We text them. They, we see them. We just do stuff. We love our, and they're all, you know, our youngest is 30. Our oldest is what now, 38. And we got a couple in between. So uh, I said all that to say with holidays and things like that, you just got to figure this thing out. I don't have any uh, ironclad ways of doing it. But you've got to figure out what works for you in a way that's not compromising in your own heart. Does that make sense? And if you're too pushy, mess up. Go ahead. Pastor, how do I, as a born-again believer, navigate around relationships in my life with people who used to know me in my sinful ways but no longer know the new reformed me? Mm -hmm. At what point do I walk away from trying to love them into knowing and respecting the new me? Would it be better to sever all ties with those people? I, um, <clears throat> I, was, um, I have friends that were my friends prior to school time. So I mean, ages three, ages four, we were in church together, a Southern Baptist church. And, you know, those same friends, we grew up together, grew up in the same community, rode bikes together, played ball together, went to church together, sang in the church choir together, youth choir, did all the stuff, went on trips together, smoked pot together, got in drugs together, got in mischief together as we got older in our teenage years. I came to Jesus when I was, you've heard my story, at age 18. And a lot of these guys are just my friends. And you know, when you know somebody that long, you know them pretty well. And you know their families, and you know they're good and bad and all that. And, um, you know, I had to make a choice. I think everybody does. Um, you, you've got you to have a focal point in your life where you're bold about Jesus and say, let your friends know, you know, there's been a radical transformation, a fundamental transformation in my life. Jesus Christ really is Lord of my life. 
I gave my life to Jesus. I no longer do drugs. I no longer do sexual stuff if that's what you've been involved in. I no longer do, uh, I, don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't go carousing and I go partying. I don't listen to certain music because it's risque and I won't have it. And uh, you just let them know, look, I don't. And you see what happens, you don't have to come, you can covertly do it or you can overtly uh, do it. So overtly is, you know, they're listening to something and they want you to hear it. And, you know, at some point you got to say, you know, I'm just not interested in that kind of music anymore. Well, why not? You know, friends, friends are friends because they have, they have things that they agree on. And the more you agree on something, the deeper the friendship becomes. Is that true? And you can have friends on varying levels. So, you know, if you've got close friends and they've been, you've been doing a lot of things together and those are sinful things together and you give your life to Jesus, well, some of them you just flat out going to have to say, look, I love you and I've enjoyed you being in my life, but I don't do this anymore. That, it, it, I just don't want it anymore. I don't, I don't want that music. I don't want to drink. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to go a place where there's risque talk and risque behavior. I'm just not doing it. I'm not going there. You know, if, if, they're, if we're going to a party and you got women that are sleeping in the bedroom with some of the men and, and then people are drinking, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I'm just not. And I won't go there. But if you want to go eat at a restaurant, I'll go and talk with you. And, uh, but if they get off into a conversation, they say, well, I'm not going to talk about that. And then, and then I had, after I came to the Lord, some of my friends, well, Mitch, I remember when you lusted after women. I said, well, I sure did. But you know what? Jesus changed my life. And he's helping me overcome that problem with my eyes. I had an eye problem. I had a lust problem. And I asked Jesus to help me. And he's helping me now. So, you know, you don't have to let somebody put you back in the ditch you came out of. You keep yourself out by telling them about Jesus. And generally, if somebody knows you well, uh, you know, human behavior is they'll rag you and, you know, try to taunt you and test you because they're jealous of what you've done. So let me tell you this story. Um, several years after I met the Lord, I was in college. I was uh, working in the grocery store. Eventually, end, I went to Bible school, married Susan. Just before we left to go to Oklahoma, these guys that I worked with, they all saw me when I was a sinner and I was just a mess. And they saw me transform, and they would pick on me mercilessly. I mean, just say things and just try to trip me up, you know. And, uh, but the week I left my, my last job and moved to Tulsa, actually every single one of them came up to me, and they looked both ways so nobody would see and hear them. And they would say in so many words, Mitch, I know I ragged you a lot. I know I, I, know I aggravated you, but you know what? We're proud of you. And they would say, they would say things like, all of us want to do what you did. We just don't have the guts to do it. Thank you. And they honestly said, thank you for, for being an example of how you can change. Every one of them. Every. It was amazing. It blew me away, y'all. And they actually took up money to send me to Bible school. I didn't even know the Lord. <laughs> so, you know, you just got to make a choice with your friends and, you know, um, evil Evil companionships corrupt good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Got to be careful. Go ahead. I'm sorry. How should Christians respond to transgender ideology being pushed onto children, and how should the church respond as a whole? Agree with God. You love people, but we don't love what God hates. And uh, with respect to children, if my children were in a public school, they would see my face regularly in the classroom. And there is no way under heaven that I would allow my children to hear 
what I understand children are hearing these days in some classrooms. Won't be happening to me. Won't be happening. I pull my kid out, whatever I've got to do. I say, God, grant me wisdom. But my, they, they, don't have the, they don't have the moral right to do that to my children. I train my children, not them. And I'll tell the teachers in no uncertain terms. And if you don't have the guts to do that, you don't have any guts. I don't know what else to say. And you're going to lose your children. And they'll be like everybody else's children. And they'll go straight to hell. So you better do something. So that's number one. Uh, but then when it comes to talking to people about these things, I'm just really clear about the Scriptures. God is holy. And, and, and you can't go to heaven without being holy. And Jesus Christ is the one that makes us holy. And you can't kowtow uh, with the Scriptures and just placate people in their wrong belief systems these days. It's in your face. If, if this ideology can be in our face, we need to be equally, lovingly in their face with the gospel of Jesus and how he can transform life. Give me the question again. I want to make sure I answer it clearly. How should Christians respond to transgender ideology being pushed onto children, and how should the church respond as a whole? Well, the church as a whole should preach the Word of God and encourage. I mean, just go back and listen to the last few Sundays. Two Sundays ago, I talked about it quite clearly. And, uh, you know, it, it's, people are going to be angry when you speak truth now. I personally think that the LGBTQ agenda uh, is probably what's going to bring some fairly severe persecution in, the, in the, the future church because that's going to be pushed by the Antichrist, which he will be a person of lawlessness and amorality, that is, anything goes, no morals. And when you have the morals of Christianity, the morals of the Ten Commandments, it's an affront to the spirit and ideology of the age. So we're not angry and we're not defensive. We're lovingly kind but bold in what we believe and the reasons we believe it. And, and what we believe is right because it creates strong families. Strong families create strong churches. Strong churches create strong communities. Strong communities create strong states. Strong states create strong nations. And when you tear apart the family, you tear apart the nation. So you just got to, you know, the Holy Spirit will show you with each, each person how to deal with them. And there's some really, really foul devils that are propagating this ilk to our, to our people these days. And you got to be lovingly kind. And there are people that are caught up in sin and they don't want to be in sin. And they were abused as children, molested. I've, I've talked to both homosexuals and lesbians who were violated as young people, usually by a family friend or a member of their family. Uh, I've seen it over and over and over again. And they don't want to be that way, but they have those compulsions. And then you have others who are, uh, maybe somebody else come up with a better term than me, they're radicalized in their belief system about this. And they think it's their agenda for their whole life to make everybody know that homosexuality, lesbianism, and that is just as sacred and good as a marriage between a man and a woman. And those are the ones that are the most dangerous, and they're the ones that are tearing apart our school systems, and they're tearing apart our families and nations. And they want to create laws so that I can't say what I want to say here. And I will say what I believe. Period. 
come what may, in a loving way. So let all your deeds be done with love. Does that make sense? So I could say a lot, but you've got to get me specific and I can tell you. Anything else? Uh, we got to go. It's late. Y'all good? You got anything that's just got to be asked? Oh, I'll just go. Are we good? Y'all got any questions about that real quick? Anybody? And, you know, let me be real about this. You know, everybody knows somebody. Family member. Could be a child. Could be a grandchild if you're older. Uh, people you work with who are homosexuals and lesbians. Uh, my take is demon spirits get a hold of people's minds, twist truth. It's really clear. And uh, to them, they're completely right. You're not going to get into somebody's life by hating on them with your words. You know what I mean by that, right? Uh, uh, but you are going to get into somebody's life by loving them where they are. That don't mean I agree with them. I don't mean I enter into their lifestyle. It means I listen to them, and then I shoot from the heart, and I share what I really believe. And I'll be real. And you know, people today, they appreciate honesty. Uh, as long as you put some butter on it and be honest, you know, people will listen to you generally. And uh, if you say it in an arrogant tone, in an angry tone, nobody's going to listen to you. And really, they shouldn't because you're not loving so love can be tough, but love should always represent Jesus well. Is that true? Yeah. So let's just lift our hands a minute. Lord, we're living in a tough time. All of us feel the pressure of the day. All of us feel the pressure in every realm of living. And I don't see it getting any easier. So give us grace. Lord, those that are young, that are listening, give us grace. Give them grace. Lord, if they're in school, give them grace to challenge what they're hearing if it's wrong. Lord, if they're in college, university, give them grace to buck the tide and to be honest about what they think and what they believe. Help them not to kowtow or submit to that which in their heart they know is wrong. Help us as individuals in our careers, in our jobs, in our businesses, in our family relationships. Lord, help us to be honest and while we're being honest, loving in the name of Jesus. People are looking for truth. Help us to live the truth in the name of Jesus. Help us to first of all be honest with ourselves and then help us be honest with you. Lord, use us as instruments of blessing and help and healing and aid in our world. Help us, Lord, to represent you well. Represent your purity and your holiness in Jesus' name.